You're listening to the National Secular Society podcast, hosted by Emma Park. Queen Elizabeth II is now the longest reigning monarch in British history, and one of the most popular. But what will happen when she eventually dies? Will Prince Charles simply succeed to the hereditary throne and carry on the same old tradition? Will he kneel to be anointed by the Archbishop of Canterbury and Westminster Abbey? And will he assume the title of Defender of the Faith and Supreme Governor of the Church of England? Will Britain's political establishment continue to be Anglican, monarchical and, in general, stuck in the 19th century? I'm joined today by Graham Smith, CEO of Republic. Republic is a member-based pressure group which calls for the abolition of the monarchy and the substitution of an elected head of state, as well as for an elected House of Lords. Graham and I will be discussing how close the links are between the monarchy and the established church, why we should care, and whether secularists need to be Republicans. So I'm joined now by Graham Smith of Republic. Um, Graham, just starting with the most um, obvious question in a way, should the abolition of the monarchy be an issue that supporters of secularism are concerned about? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I think that, I mean, you know, I would say that everybody should be concerned about it, but I, I, the monarchy is a quasi-religious institution. Um, the, you know, it's very much bound up with the established church. The Queen, of course, is the head of the Church of England. And, it, you know, the, the family, even if we sort of on paper separated out the crown from the church, I think the, the family itself is very much part of the Protestant Christian tradition. Um, and you're only ever going to get that that same family in that position. To sort of underline this, if you look at the oath that the Queen took back in 1953 when she did her coronation. I mean, it's, it's an awful lot about uh, God, um, not so much about uh, democracy and modern values. I mean, it's uh, she is asked, you know, by the Archbishop, will you do your utmost uh, to maintain the laws of God um, and the true profession of the gospel? So, you know, in a modern age, I think that, you know, all religions should be equal. There should be a freedom of faith and a um, equality of belief. And you can't really do that if you've got a head of state who is absolutely wedded to one religion. Absolutely. And I mean, not just um, freedom of faith, but freedom not yes, to be religious, indeed. of course, as well, would be part of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised that, that when Queen Elizabeth swore her oaths, it didn't sound very democratic. <laughs> After all, the monarchy is a very old-fashioned institution, isn't it? Um, how close... You said... Um, the family is part of, of the church tradition. What what are the specific ways in which the monarchy is is close to the established church? I mean, obviously the queen is head of both. She's defender of mm. the faith, um, the Anglican faith. But um, are there other links? If you just look at sort of you know official societies, you might call it. You know, the sort of any kind of uh, events, particularly around uh, things like the Remembrance Day and other similar sorts of civic society events, you're always going to get you know royals, archbishops, bishops, vicars. You know, it's all. It's all part of the same framework, if you like, of a old-fashioned white middle-class Christian society. But I mean, is it middle-class or is it is it aristocratic, really? I'm sort of thinking of the sort of Middle England culture that we that, that is very much steeped in royalty and uh, religion. But they all go to church, you know. They all go to these big ceremonies. They all talk about their faith. And Prince Charles talks about his faith. Um, 
he gets very much not just his faith, but also obviously wants to broaden that out to all faiths, but uh, but not to people that don't have faith, of course. But um, yeah, I just think that it it exudes sort of the, sort of this religious um, flavor, if you like. So I mean, let's let's talk a bit about about that uh, um, the, the class system because I think this is quite an interesting point that we still are quite class bound um, in Britain, unlike in other countries, and the monarchy supports that. But I mean, do you think I mean, the people who support the monarchy are different from the people who are sort of who 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 politically keeps the monarchy going in this country? Why hasn't it been abolished already? Unlike, say, in France or in most European countries. Well, I mean, big changes like that in the past have usually come about because of significant upheavals. Um, but you know, it is quite possible to abolish the monarchy in this country without, you know, war or revolution or whatever. But the there's a number of reasons why it hasn't happened. Part of that is inertia, um, and part of it is that the politicians of all colours and persuasions, once they're in power, they don't want to take it on, but also they enjoy the power that the crown gives them. So, you know, it's not a uh, boat they want to rock. You know, they get an awful lot of power from the crown. uh, So why would they jeopardise all that and, you know, possibly cause themselves a lot of political headaches? Um, I also think that over the last 60, 70 years, deference and interest in, in... in monarchy as an idea, as with religion, um, has declined sharply, but we have had the same queen on the throne throughout that period. And I think she is sort of held it together as it were and, and um, maintained support for the monarchy despite that decline in, in, in those attitudes. Mm-hmm. I think once she's gone, I think that's then going to be a game changer and we'll start to see uh, public opinion shift and, and sort of the attitudes towards the monarchy catch up with attitudes uh, on everything else. How how big a part? Um, I mean, the, the the Church of England obviously has its own position of power in, in our constitution because it's the established church. Um, how closely is the position of the Church of England bound up with the position of the monarchy? If the monarchy were abolished, would the Church of England have to be disestablished? Well, I mean, there's no have to about any of this. We can design our constitutions uh, any way we wish, but I think that it would be inevitable, and it's certainly our position that um, what we want is a republic in which the, there is no established church. Now, we are, uh, if I can use the phrase, a broad church ourselves. We have um, religious and non-religious people in our membership, and for us, this is not a criticism of religion or faith. It is saying that we should all be free and equal, and there should be equality in belief, um, as well as political equality. And, you know, I think that it's very difficult to have equality of any kind uh, or to really um, maximise that equality, if I can put it like that, if you've got these big archaic institutions of the Church of England and the monarchy um, still embedded in our constitution. So um, in terms of the the sort of institutional element of it, I think that... uh, a, an elected head of state would not be able to be a head of uh, head of the church. That would be a nonsense because um, obviously that would uh, cause problems for people who want to stand. But also the House of Lords would be uh, swept aside and um, fully elected uh, um, in the future, which means there would be no room for the bishops. And that would essentially end all um, formal sort of 
links, I guess. Because I guess that would be a matter of just abolishing the religious privilege, which is associated with the House of Lords, which is tied back to the authority of the monarchy. So it all goes yeah, together. Yeah, and it's all tied in together. I mean, it, it's a long time ago when uh, Tony Blair was going through this slightly farcical um, process of trying to get the Commons to vote on a different makeup of the House of Lords, you know, certain percentages being elected. There was a Tory MP, and I forget who it was, who said that he argued against getting rid of the hereditaries because it would uh, leave the Queen exposed as the last hereditary uh, official in the in the Constitution, and it, which is an odd argument. But I think that that is part of the issue with um, with all these uh, archaic institutions that they sort of prop each other up. And if you start taking away one, then others start to feel threatened and exposed. So they sort of have this symbiotic relationship. If you get rid of the monarchy, the, the church will almost certainly be gone um, as, a, as a, an established church, probably before the monarchy goes. And if you get rid of the, if you disestablish a church, I think that's going to leave the monarchy looking uh, more exposed as well. So I think that, um, you know, for secularists who are keen to have a secular state, I think that you know these two things need to be um, challenged together because I don't think you're going to get um, you're going to get resistance against a secular state um, whilst we've got the monarchy. Absolutely, and um, if if the the monarchy is is hardly a democratic institution, the same could be said for the Church mm. of England. That that's not very very democratic. Well, indeed. It, I mean, it? years years ago, I wrote <laughs> I wrote to the. Uh, Oh, this must be going back 20 years, I, uh, just for the fun of it. I, I wrote to the Archbishop of Canterbury and asked him to justify why he thinks he should have a seat in our parliament. And it was a very sort of snotty reply saying, um, well, you know, this is how this is how Britain is run. Um, and this is the way it is, basically. You Basically, yeah. And I, but I just uh, I think it's awful, really. I mean, I, I um, a while back, I had an Australian friend uh, visiting and I, we went for a bit of a wander around London and had a bit of spare time. So we went into Parliament. Um, he'd never been into our Parliament. I've, I've been into the Australian Parliament. It's um, fully democratic. Um, and we went into the uh, Commons and watched that for a few minutes. And then we went across to the Lords and sat in the uh, public gallery. And on the screen, it said that they were debating the role of women in society. And we, we sat down and looked down into the chamber. And there was a bishop in all these religious clothes or whatever, I can't remember what they're called now, um, standing on his feet talking about the role of women in society. And this is before they allowed women to be um, bishops. And I, it was kind of embarrassing that, you know, an Australian would just never concede that, you know, you would have bishops just automatically placed in their Senate, you know, and yet we just treat it as if it's perfectly normal. And it's, it's, it's really crazy. I mean, what about you? You mentioned the coronation. That's that's full of religious symbolism, isn't it? As sort of the queen is is almost yeah. anointed as as a representative of God. Yeah, the monarchy is a quasi-religious uh, institution. If you go back to um, its sort of uh, inception back at, around the time of Charlemagne, and and before that, um, you know, kings start they sort of cottoned onto this idea as Christianity spread that it would be good for them if they said, well, actually, I'm not just here because I'm the most powerful guy around. I'm also here because God wants me to be. And if you challenge me, you challenge God. You know, that literally puts the fear of God into people and, and keeps people in place. And it's it's been like that ever since. 
I mean, to be fair, we've got we've got a slightly weird um, compromise in in England because uh, we, we we fought a civil war against a king who asserted his divine right and beheaded him, and then came back to a sort of more moderate system a bit later. Indeed, yeah. I mean, it's, it's clearly obviously um, changed over the years, but the the, the queen clearly believes um, that in the divine right. I mean, she doesn't believe that she's got the divine right to rule as an absolute monarch, but she she sees it as a um, a sort of a religious position um, and a she takes her oath to God seriously, which is why um, she's never going to abdicate. Well, she's she's pretty old now. I mean, but what about Prince Charles? What's his view about religion um, that so far that those can be gathered? Has he, has he made any particular statements of interest? I mean, Prince Charles is pretty eccentric uh, at the best of times. And I, I, he's clearly part of the same tradition. He's clearly in tune with the Church of England and, you know, has very close relationships with the with the bishops and so on. But he has made various statements about wanting to be defender of all faiths. Um, and he has uh, made various, um, uh, built various relationships with other faith leaders. Um, he has a particular interest in mysticism and Eastern uh, faiths. Um, but, you know, he's spoken out as he often does on all sorts of issues on uh defending the rights of christians in places like the middle east which is you know absolutely the right thing to do if you're not the heir to the throne um but he doesn't necessarily um wade into the rights of uh other faiths um but he has spoken he has spoken out uh, or more to the point he hasn't spoken out on secular rights of people you know um he he talks about human rights in terms of uh, religious oppression and that's an important thing to do and say but you know he is quite particular about what he will speak up on um and he has often criticized china over uh human rights abuses in tibet although again he hasn't really as far as i'm aware he hasn't criticized china for human rights abuses in the rest of china so um he's quite um uh picky is it, is it difficult for the monarchy, really? Because um, whoever is the monarch, on the one hand, they're meant to be the, the representative of the established church, but on the other hand, in a way, they're supposed to be neutral, aren't they? I mean, are they? is the monarch, him or herself, able to really have, have freedom of religion in our current constitution? Well, this is part of the problem, is that they don't have freedom of religion. I mean, it, the, I mean they are supposed to be neutral politically, but they're, they're supposed to be... Protestant Christian uh, in terms of their belief, um, we still have a ban, which is absolutely outrageous, um, on the monarch being Catholic. Um, so, you know, if, if Harry decided that he was going to convert to Catholicism, he would then be removed immediately uh, by default um, from the line of succession. Now, Prince well, what if the what if the monarch decided to become another religion? Would the same thing happen? I mean, what if they decided to become Buddhist? Would, would they remain in place? <laughs> they can be Buddhist, yeah. Right. But the, the, it's a specifically anti-Catholic measure, which, and this this is a, a law that now dates back to 2011. You know, it was, it was reformed by the Cameron coalition government, um, and they specifically left that in there. It was debated, and they said, no, we're going to leave that there. Now, Prince George, uh, you know, what is he now, seven, I think? Um, he is growing up being told that he's going to have no choice about what he wants to do as a job. He's got no choice about things like going into the army, regardless of what he, how he feels about that. And he has no choice on religion. He's being told, you know, sorry, but you are expected to be king, and that means you're going to be a, a, a Protestant Christian, regardless of what you personally believe. And that is <laughs> not okay. You can't do that to people. 
I'm, I'm not overflowing with sympathy for the royals, but I think on on for the younger ones that are growing in, growing up in it, I think that you know they ought to be free to make their own decisions and um, uh, and free to believe whatever they want. But I, I guess that's the whole problem with the hereditary monarchy in the first place is that it's a job which you're uh, appointed to from right from birth, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, the the monarchy is. It's unprincipled and it's wrong in principle, um, fundamentally. I mean, we, you know, this country believes in democracy and equality um, and fairness and all these kinds of things, and the monarchy just stands absolutely against those values. Um, in itself, it is not a uh, an institution that lives up to the standards that we expect of public institutions in terms of its secrecy and, and so on. And, of course, its lack of equality within its own uh, ranks the lack of freedom, as I was mentioning about you know Prince George deciding what he wants to do, um, but also it's, it's it's a it's the bedrock or the crown is the bedrock of our constitution. The Church of England is and the and the relationship between the Church and the Crown is fundamental to the current constitution in in various ways. You know this is a big sort of monolithic, archaic constitution, and the monarchy acts as a huge obstacle to serious reform. And I've often said that reformers on other issues are missing a trip by not going after the Crown, because the Crown is quite central, both directly in the sense that it gives an awful lot of power to the Prime Minister and his ministers that allows them to control the agenda and decide what's debated and to you know make sure there isn't any serious threat to the Constitution. And um, also culturally and... and um, Socially, it, it creates this uh, obstacle because people say, "Oh, you can't keep change. You know, you can't have all these sweeping changes because of the Queen." You know, and I'm sure that you will, if you stand up in Parliament and say we need to be a secular state where no religion is privileged, people will raise the Queen as um, one of the early objections, saying you can't possibly do that. That's uh, an affront to her match, and it's just like you know, that's. Uh, that's a serious problem. Well, do you think that there is any prospect that things will change when the Queen eventually dies and Prince Charles um, inherits the throne? Is there any possibility that we might see more constitutional reforms or, or are we going to have to wait to, to William or George? No, I think I think the royals are facing a pretty tough decade. Um, they do not have the same level of support that they used to. We, we ran a poll a couple of years ago at the time of Harry's uh, wedding. Most two thirds of the population weren't interested in the wedding. Most people, you know, sort of liked the Queen and had positive um, views of her, but it wasn't. Uh, most people were fairly um, indifferent to the whole thing. Um, but it is the Queen that is sustaining popularity, and people. Charles does not carry across that popularity. William doesn't either. Um, Harry and Meghan are going to be uh, a thorn in their PR uh, side for a very long time to come. Um, and, you know, Charles is is going to be a challenge for a lot of people and not only him being king, but also just watching a succession. Most of us uh, were not around the last time we had a succession. And in this modern age of 24 uh, seven media and social media, the idea that we just sit back and let this uh, this guy sort of just become king without a debate and discussion, I just, that's not going to um, that's not going to happen. It's going to be a, a very large debate. That's very interesting that you say that because, I mean, one argument, I think, or one attitude that pe some people might take is simply, well, yes, 
the C of E is very old fashioned. The monarchy is very old fashioned. They have this weird ceremony where the, the monarch is anointed by the bishop on, on behalf of God. But it doesn't really affect my everyday life. Let's just leave it because it doesn't really matter. What would your response to that be? Well, I mean, there are a number of things to say to that. In terms of the monarchy, firstly, not everything has to affect your everyday life. It is unprincipled and we should take our values and principles seriously. If you want this country to be genuinely democratic, and I think a lot of people have a problem with the lack of democracy in this country, then we really have to make sure our institutions reflect that and you know, uh, are celebrating and enshrining democracy, not standing against it. Um, the monarchy itself is falling far short of all the standards that we expect. Any other institution, um, whether it's a, a police force or, you know, an NHS trust or whatever, if they were, you know, secretive, they were spending their public money on themselves. If they were, <laughs> if they were doing any of the things that the royals do, um, you know, there'd be calls for reform, investigation, all the rest of it. But, but the thing is, the 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 quality of our government and parliament and the decisions they make and the way they they how well they govern and, and make legislation is clearly going to be impacted by the constitution and you know the constitution is really poor on all fronts i mean there's it's absolutely um dire the house of lords is is a is no i mean there are no checks and balances really against the power of the government this is why people were somewhat shocked and uh surprised at all the um, fights in Parliament in the last Parliament because all of a sudden we had a very contentious issue being fought um, with a government without a majority. So all of a sudden Parliament had some power. But usually, and, and Boris Johnson att attempted to use the or threatened to use the royal prerogative to well he broke Parliament for a little bit. So in short, if you want to get better government and better politics and um, and better politicians, then you know you need to have constitutional reform and. Part of that is getting rid of the crown um, and properly distributing power and making sure that there are proper checks and balances and proper representation in both houses. Um, and uh, also not having this sort of layer of royalty and, and that is secret and, you know, which has access to government ministers and government papers and might be bending the ear of the prime minister every week about certain issues. So, um, you know, it just all comes as one big package of, you know, we need to get rid of a whole lot of our constitution and replace it with stuff that's better, whether it's a, you know, I don't know, some people want a different electoral system. You know, we want the, to replace the House of Lords. And we also need a head of state that's going to do something useful, you know, because this is this is a, an important role to play that other heads of state play. So, you know, if, if we have a constitution which is clearly defined and it then means that some legislation may be deemed to be unconstitutional, um, but that's a very hard thing to, to do in this country because the constitution is so flexible and the power and parliament is all powerful. Would, would your preferred to, to approach to a constitution be to have um, a, a president who was complete, a head of state who was completely um, separated from religion? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they're religious and fine, but I mean, they wouldn't be uh, officially attached to any kind of church or religion. Um, what they do privately is up to them, but. Um, but they should have a constitutional role which is independent of the government. I mean, the Queen is not independent of the government, and this is part of the problem. And, uh, she, you know, people say she's neutral. She's not. She's she's there to do what the Prime Minister tells her to do, which is what she did last year with the prorogation of Parliament. Now, people said, oh, she had to do it because that's the rule. But what they're saying is that the Queen, our constitution says the head of state has to do something which is unconstitutional, 
when she's told to do it, which is is madness. It's a contradiction. In, in terms of um, the, the Church of England and the bishops still being in the House of Lords, of course, is your sense that um, there is sort of an, a, a, an imbalance, a sort of an excessive influence of religion on on the House of Lords or on politics in general in our current system? Well, I mean, I, I don't know the extent to which the influence has an impact on the overall um, legislation. I mean, the government tends to get what it wants, but, you know, you've got 20, or is it 25, 26 bishops, whatever. It is. You know, they, they can go in there and, and debate any issue they like from a very particular point of view, uh, particularly on social issues, usually a conservative, small c conservative, uh, point of view, um, and no other religion gets that um, that kind of privilege. So, and it's certainly in the past, it's been the case that they've spoken out against things like um, LGBT rights, abortion, uh, stem cell research, all, all these sorts of things. So, um, you know, and I just think that um, even if it has a small amount of influence, that's wrong. And I just think it's abhorrent, really, that we have. Um, a situation where we just put bishops of a church into our parliament. I mean, no one should be in parliament unless they've been elected, but to, to single out one church and say, right, okay, your top 26 bishops can sit in our parliament, I just think that's absolutely appalling. Uh, let's just look at uh, other European countries which still have a monarchy. Of course, there are a few. Um, the Netherlands, I think Denmark, doesn't it? I mean, what's the situation there? Does the monarch still have a religious role to play in those countries? Yeah, I mean, one of them... It was it Sweden, I think, that um, disestablished but kept the monarchy. But I mean, it's there's still a, it didn't really change a lot. I mean, it's still very much a uh, quasi-religious institution that um, is very much connected to the church. They still have a strong relationship with the church. They don't have established churches in the way that in the way that we do. I mean, I think that I, I forget which ones are established and which aren't. But they, um, you know, they don't have bishops in the in parliament and so on. Yeah, and I think Iran is the only other country in the world which has clerics in its parliament. So yeah. Yes, indeed. I mean, we're, it's the second, the House of Lords is the one of two parliamentary houses with clerics, and it's the second largest, uh, second only to the um, Chinese Congress, whatever they call it. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not exactly um, up there in the top ranks of democratic chambers. Yeah, but I mean, you, you know, the European monarchies are very similar to ours. There's this idea um, that, you know, sort of maybe we can have a bicycling monarchy like the Netherlands, but um, they are, act I mean, that's a myth. They are more or less the same as ours. They're pretty uh, awful. They're secretive. They, you know, misuse public money and they have this um, very strong connection with uh, Christian faith. I mean, you say a quasi-religious institution. I mean, what? how exactly do you understand that? Well, it's religious in the sense that it is based on this idea of divine right. You know, it's not, there's no, you know, in the modern society, people get their jobs because of merit or because of popular mandate, apart from the monarch. Um, and the only logic is that you have to believe that there is some inherent value that that person has simply because of the family they're born into and the position that they hold. Um, and the certainly the mythology of the monarchy is that that is that comes from God, um, and that's what the Queen certainly believes, and uh, previous monarchs have certainly believed. Um, but uh, yeah, all the trappings, all the belief that I mean, even the need to make that leap of faith is there as well. Now, I mean, there's plenty of religious people in republics, as I said, and, you know, you can be religious and, and Republican, you can be an atheist and support the monarchy, but there is a a similarity in the way in which um, the two, uh, is, you know, religion and monarchy 
function. Uh, well, well, how would you define that similarity? Well, just in terms of that sort of need for faith rather than evidence um, and that willing to believe, um, which, you know, if it's your own personal faith, that's fine. I, that's absolutely no problem at all to me. But if it's uh, an institution which is bound up in our constitution, then that's not okay. I mean, the other thing, I mean, I've spoken to plenty of religious people who are, who um, are quite annoyed by the monarchy for two reasons. Firstly, they don't really see it as living up to the ideals of their faith. Um, and I think they have a problem with their faith being bound up with the state. And, and this is, you know, there are religious people, obviously the Christian Church of England people that want disestablishment of the church for the same reason. They don't, they don't think that their church and their faith um, should be sullied <laughs> by these, by this um, sort of relationship with, uh, with the state. Very, very straight. So it's almost as though uh, the, the, you have to, uh, uh, wanting the monarchy to continue, you sort of have to believe in the monarch as an act of faith in the way that you believe in a god, but perhaps it's easier to believe in a god that's invisible than in a monarch that is visible, whose, whose flaws you can easily see. A religious faith is a personal thing, and, you know, it, 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 if you're not pushing it on other people or insisting your religion defines rules and laws, then fine, you know, that's not a problem. But if you're saying that you believe that Charles is the best person that we could possibly come up with to be head of state and that they ought to carry on doing all this, then, you know, that is a problem. I, the, other, the other thing, I, I would just, I was going to say this other thing is that this, this point has been made to me by uh, Christians particularly is that, um, and I think Quakers as well, who um, uh, in particular, but um, is that, you know, there's this idea in, in the Christian tradition that, there is only one king and you know you you worship god and there's no one between you and god and it's wrong for people men and women to put themselves between you and god and say you know i am your king you know i speak for you um and that is um for some christians um uh, a problem obviously a lot of other christians accept you know the authority of the church and and the pope or archbishop or whatever but um so there is this interesting conflict of sort of saying well hang on a minute you can't be my monarch because my king is is god yeah absolutely well just as um you know you can it's perfectly feasible to be religious and and secular so you can also be religious and republican um but yeah certainly if you're if you're an anglican it's difficult um finally um just one last question graham what can organizations like republic and the nss learn from each other in terms of campaigns and the way to to push forward with constitutional reform I think that there are similarities in the sense that I think you said before that, you know, some people find it difficult to see what the what it's going to do for them, as it were. I think that there is a need to be bold and uncompromising in the message. I think there is a um, a challenge to make it relevant to people. Um, and we are certainly our two organizations are both facing uh deeply entrenched privileged institutions who will fight tooth and nail to, to defend that privileged position that they are and so i think there's a lot of um similarity but i mean fundamentally also our, our messages are very similar which is that it's about equality as citizens you know we're, we're saying we're talking about political equality and um equality in the constitution and you're talking about uh equality of belief and and so on um and it all comes largely from the same uh, tradition. So, yeah, I think that I'm sure there's plenty that we can learn from each other. Um, I think that it it is a challenge to 
take these issues and connect them to people's everyday lives. But I think that um, for both of us, there is a strong case to be made that achieving our aims uh, would make Britain a better place, a fairer place and a better governed place. Graham Smith, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm joined now by um, the NSS's Alastair Lichten for a little comment on Graham's um, interview. Uh, Alastair, what are your reactions to Graham's thoughts about um, and Graham's position on the monarchy? Do you agree with him? Uh, yes, uh, on a on a on a personal level, uh, definitely. Uh, the point I think Graham makes is it's very difficult to imagine a truly secular democracy with a monarchy. Now, in a theoretical sense, I think you could theoretically disentangle those just as you could theoretically disentangle, uh, you you could remove just the bishop's bench from the House of Lords, for example. But I think in a realistic sense, if we wanted to transform to a secular democracy, a, a proper secular democracy in the UK, that such vestiges of you know, theocracy of the idea of the divine right of kings and the divine right of bishops. It's very difficult to see how that would fit in. It just seems as though the monarchy is, as as Graham was saying, is is so inherently tied up with the religious tradition, and all of the symbolism of the monarchy is so religious. It's it's very hard to see how that could be um, disentangled and and keep the monarchy still in one piece. Well, I mean, the National Secular Society has a very long tradition of republicanism all all of the founding members of the national secular society were republicans charles bradlaugh wrote you know the scathing the impeachment of the house of, of brunswick and there has always been that long tradition there are republican clubs which were part of the reformist movement out of which secularist organizations uh, also developed and eventually the national secular society the National Secular Society at the moment doesn't take a position on the monarchy. We we believe there should be a secular head of state. Now, you could say it's very difficult, again, as the, the case that Graham's made, it's very difficult to imagine a proper secular head of state who is also an hereditary monarch. But that's not uh, an absolute thing that you could have a theoretical um, version of the monarchy which was consistent with that i would say it be uh, as i said similar to the house of lords um national secular society doesn't take a position on whether or not the house of lords should be an entirely elected chamber we think it should be though a a secular um a secular chamber and you shouldn't have people appointed simply based on their religious authority uh how, and however, th- though we don't take a position, I think it'd be quite reasonable to look at that and say it's difficult to imagine uh, getting rid of the bishop's bench without just moving to a, a, a proper elected system. Absolutely. And when did the change happen in, in the National Secular Society from being so firmly Republican to adopting a neutral stance on, on the monarchy and on um, the House of Lords? Well, uh, if you look back um, through the National Secular Society's history, because we've always been on very progressive ends or uh, progressive uh, reformist organisation, we've often uh, supported causes which nowadays are so widely supported that they're not seen as uh, necessary secularist causes. Uh, for example, uh, abolition of the death penalty, votes for women, these are not necessarily seen as secularist causes nowadays because uh, just of how uh, a measure of how far things have moved on, you know, 
it's important the NSS is a uh, well, we don't get drawn into issues which are not directly related to secularism. Uh, it's also in the time it was founded that that very deep relationship between establishment and uh, and the the, the the established church, the established social order, uh, the established monarchy, and the hostility that that entangled web of establishment has to progressive and reform movements. Uh, made it, you know, inevitable that an organisation that was setting out to uh, to challenge one form of that establishment would be drawn into challenging other forms of it. One one other point to come out of Graham's um, interview is the idea that with with the the bishops in the House of Lords, the Church of England, um, the monarchy, um, because they they seem to be so old fashioned. Do you think there's a sense in which just the, the very fact that we still have these um, checks on democracy in in Britain. Does it compromise? Do you think the quality of our democracy overall? Definitely. I mean, the the deference that comes with an established order, whether that, whatever the established order is, the idea that there is a sort of an institution that can't be challenged. And we we uh, I'm sure a republic they encounter a similar thing at the NSS. We sometimes just encounter this almost incomprehension from people that how can you question how dare you are you allowed how can you possibly question the established church i mean i i i've no word of lie someone has told me that if we disestablish the church of england but whether then who would be the established church you know you you can not have that sort of establishment that's perfectly possible and if you look around the world at most secular democracies they don't Absolutely. Um, and just a final question, Alistair. I mean, we've been talking a lot about the, the association of um, secularism and, and the Republic, and the NSS doesn't take um, a, a, a position on this. But do you think ultimately um, Graham is, is right to say that secularists should really be in favour of abolishing the monarchy? Uh, I think I need to take an agnostic position on that one. Okay, fair enough. But you may read into my agnosticism what you wish. Fair enough. (laughs) Alistair, thank you. Cheers. That was episode 31 of the National Secular Society podcast, hosted by Emma Park. My guest speaker was Graham Smith of Republic. If you would like to help us challenge unfair religious privilege and support freedom of and from religion in Britain today, why not become a member of the NSS? Full details are on our website at secularism.org.uk forward slash podcast. If you like this podcast, you can find more episodes and more information about this episode on the website. Thanks for listening.